The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at at First first listen. Listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound... Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Family Secrets is a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is part two of a special bonus episode of Family Secrets. I'm speaking with journalist and author Libby Copeland about DNA discoveries that unleash the long-held secrets that affect so many of our lives, and how, as a society, we can learn to grow, evolve, change, and understand one another. There's a pretty big leap of empathy that needs to be made for people who have never considered or had the experience themselves of that kind of disruption to their origin story, Um, just thinking, what difference does it make? Or a favorite line that was delivered to me on an index card in, you know, during a Q and A was what good is knowing? And I almost like (laughs) laughed when I was like, I actually kept that index card and I have it pinned to my bulletin board in my office because what good is, what good is knowing? It's everything. And, you know, in family secrets, um, in every episode, whether it ends up in the final episode or not, I always ask my guests, um, you know, whose like family secret we're unpacking. Um, do you wish you hadn't found out? Do you wish you hadn't known? And not a single one in thirty guests thus far. No one has mm-hmm. said yes. I wish I didn't know. No one. Uh, in fact, one of my favorite responses was from my friend Sylvia Borstein, who is um, a mindfulness Buddhist meditation teacher in her eighties. Yeah, and she just 
we were in person and she looked at me and she said, do I what? Do I, do I what? <laughs> do I wish I had? I mean, she couldn't even understand the question of like, how could you possibly wish that you didn't know? And, and that doesn't mean that it's not painful and hard, but the relief that, yeah. that people feel because that hole in the heart that you're talking about, like, I think with people who have always known that they were adopted and who didn't have access to um, their birth parents or their origin story, uh, the term in adoption literature is genealogical bewilderment. Um, yeah. The sense of sort of walking around just not knowing. Um, and so that's, I would say, probably what people describe of describe as the hole in their hearts. But then there's the not knowing and the not knowing that you don't know, which is mm, the case yeah. with so many people whose stories have been withheld from them. And that is a different kind of hole in the heart. That's like a, that's a hole in the heart that you don't know is a hole in your heart. You just, mm. you just have this ache, but you don't, the, the ache doesn't have a name. It doesn't have a story attached yeah. to it. And so when it does, um, and this is not just this isn't just my experience, it's the experience of everyone that I've talked to. There's just a feeling amid all, amid all the shock and pain and confusion and disorientation of palpable relief. Like, oh, this makes so much sense. Yes. Yeah. And kind of like the people would talk to me about there's a sense of excavating. So you, you make the discovery. And then in the days and weeks and months that follow, there's this process of unbidden excavation of the past where these memories arise and all of a sudden, you know, make sense. These memories, you know, of an interaction with your mom where she said something mm -hmm. and then you haven't thought about it in 30 years and suddenly you're putting that statement that she made into a different context and it's like ping. Mm -hmm. And so there's this kind of emotional um, archaeology that people would talk about where they were, they were processing, they were reprocessing everything from once upon a time on forward. And they were reprocessing it with the knowledge that put everything into a different perspective. And there's a term that you used um, in one of your interviews, unthought known. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's exactly what this is, but it's like this sense of kind of sensing something, but maybe not even totally admitting it to yourself. If I, if I have it right. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, again, a number, again, we're talking about commonalities, right? And, and how, how do these many, many different experiences among many different people of different ages and, and different demographics, how do they align themselves with one another? Because that's part of the, the amazing thing about this moment is the, com the humanness, the commonalities of the human experience. Um, and one of the things over and over is that people would say to me, and I'm sure they've said to you, you know, I... Um, I kind of always wondered about that, even if I never quite totally admitted it, or I always had questions, or uh, now it all makes sense, right? And there may be, for some people, I did interview people who said they, they had never an, an inkling at all, um, but enough of them who did, that it, it may be that there's a kind of a, like a, like a nascent knowledge, like you said, mm -hmm. you know, a, a feeling of um, outsiderness, or maybe little things that you pick up on that add together into this, this, just this kind of, I don't know, diaphanous, gauzy sense of nagging question. Mm -hmm. And then 
the DNA test comes along and it's like, there's the question solidified right there and there's an answer. Absolutely. No, that's, that's beautifully put. And the, the unthought known, which is a psychoanalytic term, um, you know, really refers to that which we, we know, like we know it in our bones. We know it, you know, mm. we know it like when we talk about a sixth sense, uh, but we, we, it's too dangerous to articulate to ourselves. So we never actually consciously think it. It's more like, you know, why, why would anyone really ever entertain the thought that, oh, maybe this isn't my biological parent? It's just, it's, it's, there's so much confirmation bias and so much need sure. to, I mean, I adored my father and, um, and felt so incredibly connected to him and still do, um, even though he's been gone for more than half my life. But the, to ever think the thought maybe he's not my biological father would have been impossible for me and right. and yet yeah. and yet there is a way in which i knew you know that that i that, that it, i never thought it but when i went back and read my early work as a writer it's in there it's like a trail of breadcrumbs mm. it's like it it's like the unconscious made conscious um or the unconscious like on the page there it is um so i actually have something that even amounts to a kind of proof of the unthought known in my own, in my own life. But, um, if, if someone had put, you know, given me a polygraph or whatever and said, you know, is, do you think that your father isn't your biological father? I'd be like, what are you talking about? What, 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 yeah. would, what would, could possibly give you that idea? I think that's why the fact that the various companies put up a warning saying you may discover unexpected relatives. I think that's why, those warnings don't take root. I mean, you just sort of explained it so wonderfully. It kind of all clicked into place in my brain. There's, there's, yeah, of course, even like in, even as you're saying, even if you're someone who on some less than conscious level could have questioned it, maybe questioned it, you could, it, it, you couldn't on a conscious level. No, and so, exactly. And so a warning is not, it's, it's as good as a puff of smoke. We'll be back in a moment with more Family Secrets. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. You know, there's also this this part of it that has to do with sort of basic human instincts or kind of like a primal way of 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 uh, reacting to things, which is that another thing that I noticed in the you know the other side of this, not the seekers, but the people who um, were either the secret keepers or the donors, you know, or the mm-hmm. Um, the sort of world around the secret keepers and the donors um, is that, or 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 not donors. And I mean, it could be the same thing if somebody had an affair. Um, that when when someone approaches a family that or a person who believes that they know the uh, outer perimeter of their family, they you know they have three kids, or you know they they. They know their story. They know the story of their family. And suddenly there's a person, an interloper, an outsider, 
sending an email or sending a letter or making a phone call and saying, I just don't really understand this, but I, it seems we're related. It seems that you might be my half sibling or you might Mm -hmm. be my biological parent. I don't understand. The first um, reaction almost across the board is to feel threatened. Um, What do you want from me? Yeah. It often goes to somehow the financial, you know, are you looking for yes. something you want? You want my, even people who like don't have two nickels to rub together are like, you want my money? You know, is that why, is that why you're contacting me? And it's a primitive, I think like, um, it probably has a kind of biological root in, mm. we know, you know, we know, or we think we know who our kin is and our, and our kin are usually people who are our kin biologically and who we know, who we've raised or who we've, you know, existed with uh, in a family dynamic. And then it upends the idea of what that is. Yeah, it, it upends things that people consider sacred because it's, you know, it's, uh, it's disruptive to your narrative of your father. If, say, he conceived a child while he was married to your mother. Mm-hmm. Um, or even before, mm-hmm. um, it would seem to conflict for some people. It would seem to conflict with his loyalty to you. Um, now if you'd grown up with four siblings instead of three, you wouldn't question his loyalty to you, but to have three siblings and suddenly there's a fourth, um, you know, I, in my book, I write about, you know, people's reactions. So there's the father who deletes his kit because mm-hmm. he doesn't want a relationship yeah. with his with his daughter. There's the the father who sends a cease and desist letter to his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, very often women doing the seeking, I found. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, there's a case of a woman who her parents are no longer alive, but she reaches out to her siblings on both sides. She's adopted and she finds her, her the identity of her genetic parents, her late parents, and she reaches out to her siblings on both sides. And one side basically says, listen, our dad was not a great guy. And this is like just really painful and upsetting. You know, having a relationship with you reminds us of him and we we don't have great memories of him. So no, thank you. Mm. And on the other side, her mother's siblings, her mother's uh, children, they're basically like, wait a minute. You know, you're telling us that our mother before we were born had a baby never told us about it, gave that baby up at four days old by putting that baby in a basket on a pastor's doorstep? No, no, because, you know, (laughs) for us to incorporate this Mm. story into our memories of our late mother is to invite all sorts of questions about her personality, her character, her values, the limits of her maternal love. Mm. Uh, No, thank you. And, and, and in that instance, um, you know, denial can be a really powerful thing. And the sisters basically said like 23 and me is wrong. Mm. Oh, sure. It says we're half siblings on this relative chart, but you know, they, they must've made a mistake. Mm. Um, and no amount of fact finding or evidence bearing is going to alter, alter their perception because that's, it's, it's not a question of fact. It's a question of, of emotion and and honestly sacred truths like narratives like you know you have a you, you have a an understanding of your family you have an understanding of who your mom was and um 
you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting, to, you know, writing The Lost Family, I told a lot of stories of the seekers. These are the people who are testing. These are the people who are finding out about themselves. There's, they have a lot of agency. They have a lot of autonomy. They're, they're, it's painful, but they're glad to know. Mm-hmm. And on the other side are the stories of people who are not talking because these are not, these, these are secrets. So these are not stories that they're telling. So, you know, if I'm writing about a woman and she's reaching out to her father and he deletes his kit, I'm basically writing around the negative space of his response rather than interviewing him. Um, and that's an interesting thing I, I, to think about, I think, as, as we go into this new world is, you know, what is it like for the people on the other side? And, and you know, what stories do they have to tell, if any? And, and is there a way, and, and honestly, I don't know the answer to this, but is there a way to make it easier for everyone to, um, to reconcile? Because I know... And and maybe that's not maybe that's not the right question to ask because maybe um, maybe that doesn't include enough of the experiences of the people who are being sought and don't want to be found. Um, but you know there can be a lot of trauma and pain on the other side too. You know if you were an unwed mother sort of forced to give up your child or who endured a um, active coercion of, or rape. Um, you know these these experiences of being found can be incredibly painful. Um, and I, I mean, I, it's a question without an answer, but, but it was one of the things that I really thought was so um, moving and difficult to write about was this idea that you, know, you take two people who are closely genetically related and they're at the very beginning of what could be an intimate relationship in their meeting for the first time. And their interests can seem to be in conflict at exactly the moment when they most need to not be in conflict. Um, and it, it doesn't, you know, it just doesn't always have a happy ending, unfortunately. I wonder how it might be possible for the people who are sought, you know, who, who don't have agency in that sense. They didn't ask to be sought. Um, they, in some cases, hadn't known that there was a secret and in other cases have kept a secret all their lives. In other cases, haven't even thought of it as a secret, have just thought of it as something like in the case of donors, something that they did when they were 22 years old um, and never thought about again um, and ascribe no importance to. And we're not hearing the voices of those people. Why? Because it's a secret. And so in in the same way that nothing's been, until very recently, nothing has been studied about the implications psychologically and emotionally of... um, donor conception or, you know, sort of just secrecy when it comes to identity uh, kept from children. You know, there hasn't, there haven't been long-term studies about any of that because no one was talking because it was a secret. Now that's starting to not be the case for a whole host of reasons. And people are talking and, and are making these discoveries by the you know, thousands per week are making these discoveries just because of the sheer numbers of people who are still purchasing and taking, you know, home DNA tests. But the people on the other side of that, the families that that these people, and I include myself in these people, you know, basically come crashing into. Like, hi, you know, you know, <laughs> hi, it's yeah. me. I, I I think you're my biological father. I I know this is going to be shocking, but, you know, that's that's, 
I mean, I, I'm always taken aback when people ask me, did you think long and hard before you reached out to your biological father? And the answer is, I didn't think at all. I was in, mm. I was in survival mode. I was mm. trying to put together the pieces of me and the puzzle of me, as, as you were saying before. Yeah. Um, I was completely unmoored. And, and it really felt like a, a matter of, um, of survival for me. And I think that that is true for many people who make this discovery um, and are shocked by it. But on the other side of that, there is often an elderly person, a person who has his own children, a person who gave up a child for adoption and it's always been painful, who never, who, who maybe never told her own, you know, husband of many years or, or grown children. I mean, there's so many yeah. ways in which our narratives can become upended. And yet the question that I think is going to, you know, preoccupy bioethicists and, and, and maybe really needs to be asked more is what can we do to, um, to make this, um, the fact of this connection, you know, the truth of this, something that we can all tolerate at least enough to be kind to each other. So in, yeah. in the case of um, the story you were telling from your book, the, um, the mother's, the mother's family, her, her children who say, that's just not, that can't be the case. We can't square that with our memory of our mother. She never would have done that. They're actually dealing with the same level of traumatic discovery as the, the person in your book who's discovering who her biological, her birth parents really were. But no, but but they're yeah. not. But they're but they're not able to make that empathic leap to this is another human being and she's suffering. Right. Um, right. It's it's my sacred truth in conflict with your sacred truth. So yours, so yours has to be wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean the the terrible thing for the seeker in that situation, whose name is Jackie, um, the woman in my book, is that you know, and and for many other people who are doing the seeking, is you to. Mm -hmm. it's such an unfair thing for them to have to basically be the messenger of their own existence, right? <laughs> Don't blame the messenger. That's, that's the saying. Um, if I come knocking on your door and I say, Hey, my name is Libby and I exist <laughs> and I'm your father's child. Um, you know, I bear the brunt of all the um, emotions that you would, bring to any messenger of such news if it were not welcome. And yet it is me. It is me, me, vulnerable me. I mean, in many ways, the person who's doing the seeking is, is, is twice vulnerable because they're, they're looking for connection with their genetic kin. And then they also have to be the one to bring the news. And the person bringing the news of something that could be disruptive to the person on the other side is, is possibly going to catch some flack for that. And then they feel very rejected. And, um, you know, the, the extent of the support for people in these p positions is basically Facebook groups. And there's all these Facebook groups. And you see over and over, you know, people writing about, I reached out to my, my birth mother. She doesn't want anything to do with me. I reached out to my biological dad. He doesn't want anything to do with me. I reached out to my siblings and they've, they've rejected me and, um, you know, said this is a hoax or... Uh, whatever. And, um, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking. It, it's, it's heartbreaking. This the stories really run the gamut. There are some that are beautiful and you think, man, like that's, 
that's a gorgeous story. That makes me cry. And there are some that are so sad that they make you cry for different reasons. Um, and uh, you just, you know, it's a bit of a roulette wheel. You don't, you don't know what you're going to get and you can't control, you can't control the outcome. You can't control how this person who, on the other side, who's, who's genetically very related to you, but is a stranger, how they're going to respond to the news that you're bringing them. We'll be right back. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place 
for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I want to ask you one last question. I'm, I, could, I could talk to you for, we should we should have a three-hour podcast about this because it's just, you're, you're saying <laughs> such amazing things. But, um, you know, you touch, you touch in your book on regulation and the future and, you know, the question of there's still so many structures that are in place that promote the possibility of keeping things a secret, even as the impossibility of it being kept a secret is upon us. I mean, I can't tell you how many people will say to me, you know, and you and I touched on this before, but will say to me, well, I'm not going to do one of those tests because I don't want anybody finding me. And, you know, I'm like, well, good luck with that. Or, you know, we are all, we are reaching a point where the, the, the web of data, genetic data connecting us is going to be you know, pretty much, you know, is already not dependent on whether somebody actually orders in one of these tests right. and spits into the tube. But do you have any thoughts about sort of moving forward? What would be helpful aside from the idea that, you know, I think it's very, very interesting that the the seekers and the sought um, both need their own kind of support and study and understanding yeah, you know, I think I think for one thing, it's very clear that fertility banks can't promise anonymity to their sperm donors anymore. Um, and I think that that needs to be very um, upfront. Um, it needs to be very clear uh, that um, anonymous sperm donor is an oxymoron at this point. Egg donors too. Yeah, and you know that should just be something that's made clear to someone as they're donating um, and. Um, you know, that's, that's pretty much a a ship that has sailed. Um, you know, I do think there's a great need for, um, bioethical and psychological research. Um, I don't think there's, I don't think there's sort of putting any cat in the bag, so to speak. Like, I, I don't think that there's, um, in my reporting and interviewing, I haven't heard anyone say, well, you know, here's how we could regulate DNA testing or here's how we should. Now, maybe I'm just not in the conversations where that's being proposed, at least not for the reasons that we're talking about. In mm-hmm. other words, nobody is talking about a method that would um, permit this industry to exist and also at the same time make it impossible to find unexpected genetic family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you wanted that outcome, which it's not clear to me, I mean, it's not clear to me that that you would, I mean, given given the number of people who say that as painful as this experience has been, you know, they were glad to know, um, you know, it's not clear to me that there would be, um, you, you know, that, that that's where you'd want to go with it. But if, if you, if you could, you know, it's intrinsic to the technology itself that you get a list of relatives that we all share, you know, I share genetic overlapping genetic segments with the people I'm related to. So there's, 
there's no way to really take that out um, of your results. Right. So, you know, and even if you did, um, you know, you would still have ethnicity estimates, which, you know, if you are the child of a man of Scottish descent and you discover you are not at all Scottish, you know, that in itself is, um, can be a clue depending on how good a company's ethnicity estimates are. Mm-hmm. So the question of regulation, I mean, I do see a lot of conversations around regulation of DNA testing that pertain to issues like privacy and genetic discrimination. But mm-hmm. I, I have yet to see a serious conversation that talks about um, how we treat the question of familial revelations. And um, I, I guess I think that that's where this is eventually going, is that I, th- I feel like a lot of the bioethical conversations around Genetic testing have centered on medical results, have centered on privacy, have centered on genetic discrimination. They have not really talked about how it impacts the family and the individual on a personal level when they discover that, for instance, that they are the product of a non-paternity event or a not-parent-expected event, an NPE. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it has to go because I think most, the majority of people who have an experience of DNA testing, their experience is not getting it from their doctor. Their experience is not one of really interesting or surprising or upsetting or revelatory health-related results. You know, the vast majority of the way that people are experiencing DNA testing is through commercial tests. It's because they test to find out whether they need to transform their later hosen into a kilt, <laughs> as that ad goes. Mm-hmm. And then they find out something that is like mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. And really, there's almost, I think, a disconnect between you know, the academia that looks at genetic testing in one way and the real life American consumer experience of it, which is that if you're going to get a surprise, it is this kind of surprise that you're getting, not, mm-hmm. um, not that your data is being breached um, or that your insurer is declining to insure you, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, but this, and this is, this is the stuff of people's most intimate lives. This stuff matters so much. So I just think that we need to be having like a really serious national conversation around this because there's only, you know, we've got between 30 and 35 million people in the database at this point, the the databases of the major four companies. And now you're seeing them pivot towards offering other products. And that number is only going to go up. Mm -hmm. And it's estimated that somewhere around 2% of people um, taking these tests do make a not paternity expected or non-parental event discovery. And that's, yeah. you do the math, that's a hell of a lot of people. And then if you, I mean, yes, for sure. And then if you factor in the discovery of a half sibling that you didn't know about, right. if you factor in late discovery adoptees, if you factor in the people whose genetic ancestries were hidden from them to mm-hmm. protect them, mm-hmm. Um, you're talking about millions of people. And then if you look at the way a single secret refracts across a family, if I discover that I'm the product of an MPE, it impacts, say, there's three other people in my family that it impacts. It also impacts the family of the man I now discover I'm genetic related to. Related to. So that's say that's another four people. Mm-hmm. So you've got eight people impacted by a single discovery. So you're talking millions of Americans, many of whom never even tested impacted by this. It's just, it's, um, it's a cultural transformation. It's an astonishing moment. Uh, I think we're going to be talking about this for decades to come. I completely agree. And I just keep on having this image as you're, as you're speaking of, 
people, these millions of people who, who are being impacted and affected, um, whether directly or the, or the familial or the ripple effect, are like alone in their homes contending with yeah. it. There's no real... There's no formal support. There's no formal support. And, and it is, it's a huge seismic you know, psychological um, and emotional tsunami that's hitting people. And they don't, they, I mean, I know they don't know where to go because they, they come to me or they come to you. I mean, just like the, yeah. the volumes of, of mail or people coming to my events back when events were a thing, um, you know, are, are just huge. And it's, and it's yeah. this desire, tremendous desire to gather and to share and to, um, to to be with other people who are, are having this experience, or to have people understand what the experience is, to not feel sort of that other rejected alien feeling the the lonely boat metaphor, you know. Yeah. And and you know this will go a long way to making that lonely boat metaphor be something that doesn't feel that way, that feels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because what what we what we I think generally as human beings want, and one of the things I've seen again and again from hosting this podcast is that when we're able to really inhabit our truth and see it and speak it and share it and not feel shame about it and have that sense that there's this wide array of people who are also going through this thing and there's there's help there are people who know how to how to talk about it, how, you know, there are therapists who know how to, um, you know, find the language for it and be of support is going to make a huge difference moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if we were all, the analogy that I just thought of as you were talking about is, you know, this coronavirus that we're going through and this kind of imposed self-isolation that we're all in. And if I were doing this on my own, um, for some reason, I would feel so much more profoundly alone, mm-hmm. but I know that my friends are doing it. My parents are doing it. Everyone and everyone I know is doing it. And lots of people I don't know. And I feel like a sense of solidarity because we're all alone together. Um, and I think that's why you've seen these, you know, Facebook groups crop up with, you know, 120,000 members. And that's just one of them. And many of them have 60,000 or 20,000. And for every specific type of DNA revelation that you can make, there is a group out there. Um, And it's because we need to know we're not alone and we need to normalize this experience. We really need to normalize this experience so that nobody feels like this is their secret shame, that this is their, just their messed up family, right? Um, Or just their family that kept things from them. There was a you know, there was, there, there should be a common language. There should be a common, um, the parallels of these experiences should be made clear for people so that we all know we all are starting from the same point. And if you've had this happen to you, there are millions of other people out there to whom this has happened. And we all have our family dysfunctions and we can all sort of be together and that and share those experiences. Mm, Libby, that's a, yeah, that's, that's, that's perfect. That is such a that is a sort of perfect, true, and hopeful message to end this conversation on. I've just absolutely loved talking to you about this, and you've thought so deeply about it. And yeah, just thank you. Thank you for your beautiful book. Well, thank you so much. This is so helpful, so wonderful to talk to you. 
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 